following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I'm Ray Greenley. This is another day to look together at the Word of God, to not be casual, but to look very specifically at what God has said to us through His Word that is necessary in order for us to be fully in Jesus Christ. Now, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, we want to read a part of what Peter is saying that must happen in our lives. And as we begin to read this, let's pray. Lord Jesus, if you don't move aside all of our guards, if you don't move aside all of our numbness, Lord, if you don't move aside all of our defenses, we'll never hear your word. We'll be content to intellectually read and think and speak, but our inner lives will not be at peace with you. And we'll walk in darkness, religious darkness, but still darkness. So, Lord, would you open today the portals of heaven and give us understanding and change us, Lord, into your image. Thank you, mighty King. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. First Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 1. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time In the past, doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse upon you. Now let's break down some of these words very very quickly. Living in debauchery. What is debauchery? It is something that may not be wrong in itself, but when it captures our full attention and it becomes the central focus of our life, it becomes debauchery. Something that may bring to us energy and strength. Something that may be recreation even. But if it absorbs our thinking, if it absorbs our energies and our money and our time, it becomes debauchery. And then he speaks of lust the natural moving of a man's heart or a woman's heart to try to find satisfaction for the demands of their body driven by the emptiness of our own souls as we try to fill ourselves with some kind of sense of love. It's lust. 
Lust is not only just a sexual lust. It's lust for many other things as well. It's very closely related to debauchery. Drunkenness. Specifically, drunkenness with drugs or alcohol. Where we seek to find an escape that our hearts can find a moment of peace because we have denied Jesus Christ being the peace of our heart. And then he says, orgies, group sexual activity, which is quickly becoming normal in America. Threesomes, all kinds of wickedness, Orgies, carousing. What is carousing? Aimlessly going about, yelling and shouting and playing, joking and laughing, doing nothing of value, just out vegging, carousing, dirty jokes, dirty thoughts, fights, anger, bitterness, Carousing. And the final one is detestable idolatry. What is detestable idolatry? When I establish a God in my life other than Jesus Christ. When I let money rule my heart, that's idolatry. When I let my dissipations when I let my debauchery and my lust, my drunkenness, my carousing, when I let all of these things have sway in my life, the writer of the book of Peter is saying that is idolatry. And then it says, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. What is dissipation? It is the draining away of life's energy being wasted in foolishness. Dissipation. Where the life forces are drained away doing and thinking and acting in ungodly ways. And he's saying, when you finally say no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Your former friends will heap abuse on you. They will not understand. And they will try to get you to join in with them once more in the dance of wickedness. Verse 5, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in the spirit. We live in a long line of men and women who have walked in all of the wickedness of their flesh and who have now died, who are gone. And they will be judged. He says the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear minded and self controlled so that you can pray. Above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality one to another without grumbling. And each one should use whatever gifts he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Then in verse 12, Peter says, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 16. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Now that brings us to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. All through now the book of Hebrews, as we have carefully looked verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the intent of this writer of the book of Hebrews, whether it was the Apostle Paul or Apollos or another apostle, the intent has been to speak to the Jewish people, defend the divinity of Jesus Christ, justify his priesthood as being after the priesthood of Melchizedek, a priesthood of righteousness and peace. Then to say, finally, look, let's go on to what the real issues are. Let's deal with the hard issues of the gospel. And as he begins to do that, He opens for us an understanding that Jesus right now is seated at this moment in history, today, right now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly sanctuary, which is the command center of God for the salvation of the human race. He has a rebellion to deal with. He has an army that he must deal with that is trying to destroy and capture for itself and become God. But he has to operate according to the rules of love, of mercy, of grace. And so earth is that battleground It is not a vacation center. It is a battleground where all of the universes are watching as God works out a perfect plan of redemption for the sons and daughters of Adam and the utter and total defeat of the self-serving demon called Lucifer. Belzebub, the devil, and all of his minions, and all of his creations. Now at this point, he wants to speak very plainly, again, almost in review, about the law. And when he speaks of the law, He means the ceremonial law, the moral law, the entire body of law that governed the Old Covenant. All of the Old Covenant was a type of the New Covenant. The law, he says in chapter 10, verse 1, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So if you go to the Old Testament, and those of you today who want to keep the Passover, I don't criticize you. I simply want to tell you that you are walking in the shadows and not in the bright light of the presence of Jesus Christ. All of those feast days, all of those regulations, all of the laws were but a shadow pointing forward to Jesus. Let me give you a very specific example. 
in the law, we are told not to commit adultery. But Jesus came under the new covenant and said that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Under the old covenant, you could lust in your heart after a woman and not be considered as committing adultery. You see, when you come to the reality itself, he's not dealing with just external behavior. He's dealing with the inner spirit of the human heart. He's dealing with the reality of our spiritual condition. And so it says, for this reason it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. The whole issue of God, as we found in chapter 9, specifically in verse 26, was to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. It was the purpose of Christ to lift sin off of your life and my life. And then to come a second time to a people who have had that sin completely lifted up off of their lives. And then to bring in that second coming complete salvation to all of those who are waiting with expectation for him, who are in Christ Jesus, who are in the spirit seated at the right hand of the glory of God in the heavenly realm. And so he says in chapter 10, verse 3, these sacrifices of the old covenant were but an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So in the old covenant, you were declared righteous, but you could not be made righteous. The blood of an animal could not make you righteous. So when Christ came into the world, he said in chapter 10, verse 5, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. And I said, Here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And now he wants each of us to say, I have come to do your will, O God. And we are empowered to do the will of God by the precious blood of Jesus, by the atonement he made on Calvary, by the atonement he was on Calvary's tree. So in verse 9 it says, Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that is the old covenant, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Have you, my brother, my sister, have you been made holy? Have you resolved once and for all in your heart that you have come to this time to do the will of God and only the will of God? That you have not come to do your will. And I recognize that one of the greatest battles for the human heart is to give up being full of ourselves that we might be full of Jesus Christ. 
But to make that transition means to give up our ambition, our plans, our life. And to trust that our life will be shaped and formed by Jesus Christ himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because his blood was shed once and for all. It says in verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. By that one sacrifice, he opened the door for you to be made perfect, to be made holy. Now the Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. This is the new covenant. Verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, after the crucifixion of Jesus, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds and their sins and lawless acts I will no longer remember. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Now look very carefully with me because we've come now to the absolute conclusion of Paul's arguments or of Apollos' arguments, the book of Hebrews. For what he believes is the position the Christian must be in. Measure yourself carefully against the scriptures. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful. What has he promised? He has promised to make us perfect. He has promised to bring us with himself into the throne room of God and seat us at the right hand of the throne of God with him as co-heirs with him made perfect now. Not by hard work, but by absolute belief in Jesus Christ. John says, what is the work of God? The answer Jesus gives is to believe on the one whom he has sent. To totally and completely give myself to Jesus. Even if that means I will never see success in this life. Even if it means I will never be renowned or recognized or have anything of my own. Even if it means that I walk living in caves with rags to cover my body. It means I am at this point, to be totally divorced from this world. 
and my whole heart is to be given over to Jesus Christ. He says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. And that word sincere, we've spoken of before. But just very quickly, when they would go, a woman into the marketplace to buy a new pot made of clay, fired in the furnace. She would want a pot to bring home and put food in and cook it over the fire. And she would ask the shopkeeper, is this a sincere pot? And what she meant was, would I bring this pot and I put my food in it and I put it on the fire? Is a crack going to show up in this pot that you filled with wax to fool me into thinking it was a whole pot? To have a sincere heart is to have no cracks. When put in the fire, cracks do not appear. Having a sincere heart, an uncracked pot, in full assurance of faith, knowing that Jesus will accomplish all that he would accomplish in my life. So that whatever I receive, I receive only from the hand of God. I don't grab for myself, and I don't try to grab from God's table for myself. I receive from the hand of God what he chooses to give me based on his precious promises. I stand on the promises of God with my emotions tethered to those promises. I live and die by the word of God to my heart. I trust him. I only go as he orders my steps. I only do what he tells me to do. Having our hearts sprinkled. Having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus from all defilement of the world. From all sin. To cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Do you have a guilty conscience today? Then you need to come to Jesus. You need to come and be washed. And cleansed. And changed. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Everything is based on the precious promises of God. And then he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's why I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel and walk with us in fellowship that you would be encouraged, that you would see others who have totally given up themselves and are totally given to Jesus Christ, that you would see others who are in the midst of the struggle as you would hear their their experiences shared. Literally, the National Prayer Chapel is a boot camp. It is a, it is a school of the Holy Spirit. It is a place where men and women find healing and restoration and find the courage to walk faithfully before Jesus. Now we come to a passage of scripture that I would rather not talk about. It's a painful passage of scripture. But it's one which we must deal with. Verse 26. If we deliberately 
keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. In other words, after we have listened to the preaching that you are hearing right now, after you hear the teaching of the scriptures that say that Jesus came to take away all of your sin and you continue to rest back in the lying Gnostic gospel of the sinning Christian and you continue to hold that position that says, I'm going to sin until the day I die by deliberate action on my part. It says if we keep deliberately sinning after we have received the practical understanding of how the gospel works, there is no sacrifice for sin left. In other words, Jesus does not cover you with his righteousness. Jesus either makes you righteous or he leaves you to your false religion. The 10th chapter of Hebrews, verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying that you can be in the church. You can call yourself a Christian. But you are going to face the raging fire of judgment that will consume the enemies of God if you continually deliberately sin against Almighty God. It says in verse 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Let's look carefully at what the writer is saying. These, again, are not my words. These are the words of the writer of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him or that made him holy? The problem is many of you who listen to this broadcast have never been born from above. You heard that you could be saved if you would repent of your sin, and you said, okay, I repent, and now I receive, I accept Jesus. And you were told by a preacher, now you're saved. But what were you saved from, and what were you saved to? If you're still walking in deliberate sin, you have not yet been saved. But you say to me, Pastor, I don't have the strength. I cannot resist this sin. That is an evidence that the supernatural work of being born again has not taken place in your life. And you have to go back and enter in at that gate, that narrow gate, now, you remember John Bunyan spoke about this. Two men climbed in over the wall. And Bunyan's Christian confronted them and said, how can you come over the wall? You're going to be considered by God as, as thieves. 
And they said, it's too inconvenient to come back all the way to the beginning and enter in at the narrow gate. We can't do that. We don't have time. And I'm sure they said, we will be received in the heavenly realms just as much as you are. It only matters that we're on the narrow path. But soon they were seduced off of the narrow path. And they met their end. And they never made it to the celestial city. Many of you are struggling with human strength to overcome your sin. And you try. And you try. And you try. And the love of yourself and the love of your sin is evidence that you are not born from above. Now you may have been at one point, but then you went back and rebuilt what the Holy Spirit destroyed. That's the case in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. These were Christian people. They had been made holy at their entrance into the narrow gate. But then they insulted the spirit of grace by continuing to walk in their fleshly ways. And the chains grew tighter and tighter. And now they cannot walk in righteousness. And now they've been told by pastors. One man said to me, I went to my pastor. And I said to him, Pastor, I'm not making progress in this work of the gospel. He said, what do you mean? He said, I'm still very much addicted to my drugs. I'm still addicted to cocaine. I'm still addicted to all of my drugs and my alcohol. And the pastor said to him, don't be concerned about it. Enjoy your life in Jesus. He has saved you. And he will take you to heaven. And this man came to me and he said, Pastor, is this true? I hear you on the radio and you're saying that that is a false gospel. I assured him it was a false gospel. And I explained to him the process he must go through. If he is going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. He thanked me. And then because his wife would not come with him to the prayer chapel, but was instead an officer of the church in a mega church. He went back to that church. And I'm sure he is still caught in his cocaine. I'm sure he has never gained the victory. Because all the preaching he's going to hear is going to say, be comfortable in your sin. Don't worry about it. You're saved. The writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us that that is an insult to the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 30 says, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now in Hebrews 10, 22. I want to go back to a word that is used. Let me first read for you once more, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. That word pure in the Greek has with it the sense of being pruned and prepared 
to bear fruit. In other words, what happens when you are washed with this pure water is that you are set free from every corrupt desire. You are set free from sin and guilt. You are set free from a mixture of what is false and what is genuine. You are unstained with guilt. You have been washed. You have been pruned. And if you go back with me to the Gospel of John, John, the 15th chapter, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He prunes or cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So if you bear no fruit of righteousness, you will be cut off and cast away. If you commit your way to Jesus Christ and you ask him to do the work of cleansing and purifying and making holy and sanctifying in your life, it says that God the Father will come with pruning shears and cut off of your life all of the foliage that does not bear the fruit of righteousness. In other words, he will take you into the wilderness And in that wilderness place, you will become clean. Now, it's very plain to my heart that a branch is pruned in order that the hindering thing may be removed. In other words, as you walk in Jesus... There are parts of your personality, there are parts of your character that block Jesus from fully using you. And those things are just the foliage of your life. And the Father comes and he cuts those things off of you. Now it's also very plain to me that when a vine has blight starting to grow on its leaves. It is not sprayed with a disinfectant. It is not sprayed with a poison to remove the blight. Blight is only removed one way, and that is it is cut off. It is cut out. It is removed. This is the work that God is doing in our hearts. Now, verse 4 says, remain in me, or I like the King James Version translation, abide in me, and I will abide in you. This is a person who has been born from above, And they now desire to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul tells us in Galatians that the the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. This is first and foremost the fruit to be born from the life of a Christian as he is connected to the vine by a supernatural act of God. All new births flow out of the heart of God as a supernatural act of God, not out of the flesh of man. And that new birth can take place when there is a complete giving up of myself 
for Jesus Christ. And when it says, abide in me, and I will abide in you, he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Do you understand? This is the practical working out of the power of Jesus Christ to make you perfect. To remove all sin from your life. A very important part of the growth process for me and many others has been to identify very specific places where I can remain in Jesus, abiding places, abiding in prayer at set times, abiding in scripture at set times, abiding in Jesus. Now, he calls us to many different abiding places points of discipline where he deals with our hearts in the desert. And he asks us, stop doing that and begin doing this. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us about these issues, they become abiding places. Abiding in Christ is not some philosophical idea. It is a very practical day by day walking out the commands of the Holy Spirit as our lives are pruned by God, by the Father. If we reject and believe that we can continue to deliberately walk in our own life, there is no salvation left for us. I remember the day clearly, as clearly as if it happened yesterday. When the Lord God of heaven spoke to me and said, turn your television off. Or when the Lord has given me other very specific commands. Read the word. Spend a minimum of one hour a day in the prayer closet. He spoke to me very specific things. And as I did what he commanded, he drew me close into his heart. You cannot be in sin and in Jesus at the same time. You cannot deliberately keep on sinning. You cannot deliberately keep on sinning. And expect anything but judgment and the raging fire as God consumes his enemies. Now, we're almost out of time today. I want to pray for you, but before I do, let me again invite you to pay whatever price you need to pay to come to the National Prayer Chapel. If you desire to be enrolled with us in the school of the Holy Spirit, come this Sunday. We're located at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Woodbridge is just south on Route 95 from the District of Columbia. Let me give you directions. It's at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's 14851 
Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I also invite you to look up our webpage. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. nationalprayerchapel.com. Let me also give you our mailing address for those who have been touched by the Holy Spirit, and you know you're to support this ministry to keep it on the air. This is not listener-sponsored radio. This is Jesus-sponsored radio. And he will move in your heart and tell you exactly what to give. We are accountable to the Holy Spirit. And every penny you give goes to pay for the monthly cost of the broadcast. This month will be again pushing $4,000 for the month. And I want to thank those of you who have already begun to give. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're welcome to make out your check or money order to the National Prayer Chapel and mail to Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now I urge you to carefully read for yourself Hebrews, the 10th chapter, where we have focused our study And John chapter 15, look carefully and prayerfully at these scriptures. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, I lift up your name over Washington, D.C., over every precious person listening to this broadcast. And I ask now for the moving power of your Holy Spirit to convert those who are yet pagans, even though perhaps religious pagans. I ask that you would bring deep, heartbroken sorrow to those who need to be born from above. And I ask for great courage for those who have been born from above that they would not turn back on you, Jesus, that they would not walk in their flesh, but that they would walk in your spirit, being pruned by the Father. I ask, Lord, that your glory would be revealed, that, Lord, each person would know you, the living God of heaven. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I look forward to meeting you. That would be a great joy for me. God bless you. I love you, my brother, my sister. Come and follow Jesus with all of your heart. I'll talk to you soon. of His glory with great joy with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord Psalm 24